0: I think there are a couple different ways that I look at this. I am a firm believer that there's not one target audience. I believe that there's an audience that you want and there's the audience that you get and it's how to nurture both sides of those.
1: Welcome to the Marketing Innovators Podcast. This is the show for marketing innovators everywhere who want to push the boundaries of marketing and learn about cutting edge strategies and channels that are working today. Join us each week to hear from industry-leading marketers as they share best practices and what is working for them. This episode is brought to you by 2Web. Growing your business online is overwhelming. At 2Web, we make it simple. Our agency has helped over 700 businesses and organizations grow through digital marketing. Learn more and reach out to us at 2 webca Welcome to the podcast everyone. Today, we have a very, very exciting guest, Lindsay Van Jean, who is the Director of Marketing and Communications at Outcast Foods. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Great. So, Lindsay, I want to know a little bit more about your background. You've had an interesting journey in the past little while, so it'll be great if you can give us a bit more insight as to how you actually ended up being in this role here today.
0: Absolutely. I gave you a bit of background before, but I think it goes quite a bit deeper and I'll try and keep it as brief as possible. I first got into advertising back in, gosh, 2005 when I was working for a radio station up in Squamish, BC, and I was with Rogers Communications. And and one of the things that I was very interested in was how community functions in terms of supporting Advertising, or, you know, whether it's a radio station or a product. And at that time, I had been coming off quite a few years of living in Whistler, sort of forgot about school. So I moved back home to Victoria to do a degree in anthropology. And it was sort of a slow roll into. The marketing aspect of it, but I was really into cultural anthropology and um, focused on very strange sort of phenomenons like televangelism and the NFL, and was very interested in spectacle and how people get that engaged and that sort of evangelical about whether it's a religion or it's a sport or it's a product. And I didn't really know how that would translate later on in life. So after I finished my degree, I went straight into a master's in professional communications at Royal Roads in Victoria. And I focused on the PR and PR strategies of the NFL during crisis situations. So I primarily focused on the Ray Rice case and did a lot of textual analysis and looked at sort of the galvanization of the different communities and stakeholders, how people responded, how it sparked sort of social justice action, and how it really effectively changed the NFL. And from there, I was sort of, you know, excited to continue my academic journey through a series of really interesting circumstances I ended up working with the University of Alabama at Tuscaloosa, Roll Tide. I know a lot of people on the podcast, you who know, might think about football also hate the Crimson Tide. So hopefully that doesn't turn anyone off too much. And so I really got into sort of sports communications and was accepted to do a Ph.D. there and deferred while I did some went into some marketing. And I worked for a few startups. And ended up working for a digital marketing agency that focused on sports videos and sports advertising. And it gave me this crash course into digital advertising and ad fraud and and all sorts of really, really interesting areas that I just hadn't had that exposure to. And after a couple of years there, I, I left to go on an adventure of sorts at the age of 38 and became a glorified PR and marketing carny or roadie, I guess, and traveled with an obstacle course racing circuit across Canada and eventually ended up in Toronto and made a life here where I went into marketing in, in a sort of sports-related capacity. And it just wasn't filling this need that I had to take marketing from just sort of the pure science of marketing into how do we create communities? How do we elevate other people? And so my PR company, Hello Hero, focused on working with companies that were very socially minded, worked with a peanut butter company that supported sex workers. I worked with a period product company that has a mission to end period poverty in Canada. And it was very rewarding. Enter COVID. <laughs> I had been introduced to Dr. Darren Burke, who's the CEO and founder, co-founder of Outcast Foods, and we had had a brief conversation about me coming on to help them with their PR and a bit of their marketing. And from there, COVID sort of just kind of crushed that communication and that relationship for a little bit, and then we linked up in in June of last year. And we started on this journey of, of building the brand that is now Outcast, and we've had tremendous success. And we've just finally like, we finished a round of funding in early 2021. And so yeah, the sky is the limit. And I'm very grateful that it, that I have the task of marketing and branding this incredible product.
1: That is amazing, Lindsay. It must be really really exciting here to conduct some of these operations, especially related to marketing, which you seem to be very passionate about. So with regards to your current role at Outcast Foods. What does it entail? Everything?
0: <laughs> everything related to do with marketing and our uh, D2C sales. So, we are doing everything from broadening our social media presence in different on different platforms to, you know, wrangling the intensity that is digital marketing in the United States, which is proving to be a challenge, but a lot of fun. And I run a team here in Toronto, and we're constantly coming up with new ideas and uh, new ways to really educate the public and our communities on what Outcast is, how it functions, our business model. And I think that that educational piece is really foundational
1: to my role at Outcast. So obviously, you're dabbling into a lot of different kinds of marketing techniques and strategies. What What is work?
0: So the way that we approach this, you know, we didn't have funding, so we started off really small and we wanted to do, we're big on testing things. We want to find out, we don't want to just throw things out there at, you know, multiple different platforms or strategies. We want to be very methodical about how we approach each sort of facet of the marketing for Outcast. and with COVID and we experienced tremendous growth in COVID, in, during COVID and really it was that digital advertising component that really helped us get going. So our main focus over COVID was really to work with our digital advertising platforms. Our social media is, has proven to be a real winner and I can get into more of like how we were able to make it a winner because I don't think that there is a formula for it. But I think that there are some definite, like some good strategies and some good ways of looking at a brand and applying it to the audience that people can take away. So lots of social media. We're now working with influencers. And what we were able to do is really track and see how that was working. And a lot of that had to do with that beautiful marketing funnel that we all love to see get filled up. But again, That in itself takes a a long time. And I often say that sales and marketing and, and, you know, brand, it's not a, that funnel is not a gumball machine. It's not, you just turn the crank. It's that gumball machine has to be filled up first. Now, those, those are people and communities. And to be able to get conversion and, you know, really, really stable brand awareness and education, there has to be that foundation laid. And that's what we really, really worked on towards the end of 2020.
1: So Outcast Foods, who is the target audience for the business?
0: The target audience, I think that I love this question, because I think there are a couple different ways that I look at this. I am a firm believer that there's not one target audience. I believe that there's an audience that you want. And there's the audience that you get and it's how to nurture both sides of those. And so when I thought of Outcast, I really thought like a target market were 40 years old, maybe vegan, maybe athletic, into sustainability. And what we're really finding is that there's a younger audience that is really engaged with, with who we are. They're environmentally minded. And yes, they're active. They're educated. So right now, we're really seeing a lot of success with Women between the ages of like basically 25 to 45. But that is the audience that came to us. And that's the audience that we nurture. But we also know that there is so much potential for audiences that don't that see it as a vegan company or vegan protein. And we're not a vegan company. We're a plant-based technology company and we're for everybody. So we don't just have the best tasting plant-based protein powder. We have the best tasting protein powder in the world.
1: That is awesome. And you know what? I think I can definitely relate to the fact that often companies, they really narrow down their target audiences, but they, you know, at the end of the day, what you have to understand is you have to understand, okay, what are, what are the core values of that target audience? What do they believe in? And then align your messaging around that. So that way you can actually target not only your target audience, but also those other supplementary audiences that basically believe in the message and the change that you're trying to apply. That has a lot to do with your communication and how you're putting out your messages. You mentioned earlier that your social media marketing has really drove success for the company. So let's talk a little bit more about that because you know, I think that's a very um, important piece. A lot of companies and businesses, they struggle to make a stance in social media. And with the turbulent environment there is out there right now and things that are always changing, what really works?
0: So there's a couple things that I sort of stand by. Yes, we we run with a traditional influencer model, but we also again I, I take it back to to my interest and my passion for communities and, and engaging and really elevating a brand to be more than just a brand to really lift people up. And so we have an initiative called Outgrow Normal. And these are we're sort of subverting this traditional influencer model by working with incredible people in different communities that are outgrowing what is normal. And if you haven't made the connection yet, outcast foods, we take surplus, ugly, dented produce, and that may not be considered typical or normal. And we're turning it into something that is perfect to us. And all those fruits and vegetables are perfect to us. So we're sort of applying that idea to outgrow normal. So we work with, you know, the first female to play on a university football team. And she, and she is very, she is incredible. And I'll link to our YouTube page where you can see a commercial we shot with her recently. Zara Siddiqui is a a social justice artist, an art curator, and focused on representation. We've worked with the first professional soccer player, uh, David Testo. He's now in Victoria, but he used to play for the Montreal Impact. He was the captain there until he came out. So we are working with people that are really breaking the mold. And so I think that for social media, there's got to be more than just like, how do we get followers? What is engagement? Engagement is that, that word that everyone is so burnt out on. And it's, to me, it's like, how do we create community? And not only that, and what we've done is we've built that foundation and it's great. You know, we've created personalized characters that sort of showcase our personality, which is really great. And I think that there's a lot to be said with like, and a lot of marketers already know this, social media planning and looking at the audience and not being reactive, but being proactive. So having a look at sort of the trends that are happening and also applying that. So when we look at our different social media platforms, you know, we've got talk, we've got Pinterest, LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. And to me, when we talk about target audiences, that to me goes out the window when you start going into these other platforms because they have different functionalities, they have different demographics and you have to create content that works with them. So our strategy on TikTok is fundamentally different than what we do on Instagram. And really working towards how do we really engage those audiences? Are we going to find a new target audience through those channels? And so for us again it's it's that research proactivity and the measurement of success and what works and what doesn't.
1: Wow. And, you know, I think that I always say that data doesn't lie, right? I mean, you have to measure what you're actually doing online. And sometimes it's really hard to define those metrics because exactly when when you're talking about engagement, what exactly is engagement and how do you actually measure that based on the different platforms that you're communicating your content through? If we were to look at, uh, you know, I love the strategy about approaching, you know, specific influencers and having them spread the message and working with their social cloud to actually help promote what Outcast Foods is about. So what kind of metric do you measure when you're actually working with these influencers?
0: Part of it is, is in, it's, it's twofold. Yes, we look at the traditional sort of metrics that influencers often are asked to give. More and more we 're seeing that they don't want to give those, and what I have my team do is when they do research on influencers or our change makers who don't necessarily have outcast in all of their pictures and they're talking about themselves, but we look for the why of it all. you know we don't want to just throw it at vegan you know recipe bloggers with two million followers there's a lot to be said for just really authentic people and so yes we look at those metrics like what you know where is their audience how much and and again it's that troublesome term of engagement and i do i get my team to go before they suggest someone on on face value i get them to really go look at the comments are they interacting with their audience you know we see these sort of i don't know if it's like a good term but like these arbitrage accounts where you know they've got five hundred thousand followers and tons of comments but they're all the same comment and it's sort of these groups of influencers that band together to create that engagement and they're all commenting on each other's posts so it's got like 114 comments but it's all fantastic work your work is fantastic and it's you know heart emoji and So it's not true engagement, which is why I find engagement one of the worst terms in marketing. It's very undefinable. It's vague. It doesn't really mean much. And it's very hard to measure.
1: That's going to piss off a lot of marketers, <laughs> but yes, definitely. I mean, that's... Sorry. No, I think that's, that's absolutely true, right? I mean, you know, when we say engagement, you know, some measure according to the time spent consuming your content. Others are just looking at the followers and, you know, again, those, those comments. But if the comments are not really meaningful, as you mentioned, which I think is great, you know, if you're going into that level of detail, I think that's, uh, that's uh, that really goes a lot to show because you can, you can really uh, skew the results by just having numbers, right? Numbers in place. But it's about the quality it's about the quality of communication that you know they're having with their tribe each influencer is having with their tribe so to speak and ultimately you know how and where that leads right so finding out influencers i think influencer strategy is definitely a really underrated strategy that a lot of companies can use to help spread the message that they have where do you get started with even finding influencers
0: It's interesting because it's not something that I had um, a template for. And what we started with was what we could afford. And what we found was, is there were a few of our content creators and influencers that we use who found our company, and they just started posting like these beautiful smoothie bowls and all this kind of stuff. And so we picked up on them and and had them on as an ambassador. And then, you know, as an influencer and content creator, and I think it's got to be sort of an organic process. This is what we're finding right now. And I hope that some people that are listening to this can relate. But you know, we were very much situated in Canada, which is great for us. We were able to take orders from the united states when we got into the united states the influencer industry there to me is vastly different than what we had been working with so we were organically finding people that were emotionally attached to our product first kane bishop i think he's can't remember who is kane on on instagram Again, just a guy that loved our company and would post all these great videos. And he's now one of our content creators. His content does super well on our, on our platforms. And we've used this wonderful woman named Terry Alice. We saw her doing, she was creating these beautiful romantic sort of recipe videos with sort of a Downton Abbey soundtrack in the back, background. And we just loved her stuff. So we said, Hey, can we pay you and run this as a TikTok ad to see how? it performs because it's native, right? So it doesn't look like an ad. And that's one of the tricks with TikTok is like, you look like an ad on there, people are going to go past you so fast. So we worked with, you know, Terry, Terry Allison, and, and, you know, it did really well. So we have these influencers that we've cultivated and we work with. When you get into, we do outreach, when we get a response from the actual influencer, we know that that relationship is going to be, I would say, deeper in a way. When we get into the agency side of things, things get fairly murky, in my opinion. I think that if you can find like those influencers that are not being run by a whole team, and we work with some influencers that have that, that are absolutely incredible. But when we got into the U.S., what we're finding now is The price is is bonkers for even just a post. And so when you go out and you're trying to find influencers, find people that one of the big things that I found is people that just send their rates right back when we do outreach. It's the people that ask, I want to try your product first. Those are the people I know that they have, they're paying attention to their audience They don't want to sign on to anything that they don't agree with. And luckily, our business model is fantastic. And it's like, you can't really go wrong with it. But it's really important to find those people that want to have that emotional connection. They don't want to do it unless they believe in it. And I think that those are some of the best influencers out there. But getting started is whatever product or brand that you're working with is start following accounts that we're we're in protein. So it's easy to find vegan influencers and things like that. But as anyone knows, you can go down these rabbit holes. You start with one person. I did this today with somebody sent me a meme on, it was a cannabis podcast. And they linked to Black women-led cannabis companies. Next thing you know, I'm following all of these accounts. And because I love what they're doing. And so like it does take that time and that effort. I don't think that passing it off to an agency is always the best
1: strategy. And I think that, you know, what I loved about what you said earlier when it comes to influencers is those that those people that take the time to really try your product out. I mean, that just makes it that much more meaningful. And I think that when they are also creating content around your product, it just shows in a different way. It doesn't show like an ad. As you mentioned earlier, it looks more like, okay, yes, they believe in this. They are vouching for it. And I think that changes the tone of the message as well and i think it also going back to the term engagement it also creates more engagement with their with their tribe if they're able to communicate better
0: look for the influencers that are are actively engaging with their comment section
1: so when you're dealing with so many different kinds of content i mean there is some i would say lack of control at times when you are having an influencer post messages about your product and you've been very comfortable with the sort of giving up that control. How has that worked out for outcast foods? So we're lucky
0: because once people find out it's made from local upcycled produce and that it's actively saving the planet, they get connected to it. And there have been some influencers you know, and that's why we start off with we like to work with we don't want to go into like a three month we don't want to go in with like a three month contract. We want to see what people are doing. And so, yeah, we've had some things. And again, it's about testing, right? You just don't know. But you can do the research. You can find out, you can have a look at their account and make sure that it's in line with your brand. And I really encourage my team and they do such a fantastic job with this is not... Vegan influencer, 1.2 million followers, that's it. It's, it's just, to me, it's important to have a look at, at the kind of content that they're creating. A really good example is Edgy Veg, Candice Hutchings. And she is an incredible, she makes like vegan sort of comfort food. And she's different to me. She's very personal in her stories. She has beautiful content and it's not always... It's not the typical vegan, healthy sort of outlook because it's comfort food. But she's doing what she loves and she's not, and you know, she's written a cookbook. And so we're working with her on multiple different levels. And so having a look and like working with her once and what we actually saw with her and why we work with her, not only because she creates beautiful content, but we did do a, gave her a a promo code and our sales went through the roof that day. So you want to find people that, can actually, because when it comes down to it, marketing is selling. So you do want people that can eventually sell a product, whether it's through the brand awareness and it's that longer term thing, or someone like Edgy Veg or Plant You, who they tried our products. They got super excited about it. You could tell in their voice and their videos that they were with what they were making and tasting. And they've got that people look to them. Those are the accounts that people look to. They're not there for just the content. They're there for recommendation. And there are some great people. The other thing I would caution people against is have a really good look at how is this influencer, do they have a ton of promotions? How much of their account and their feed is promotions? And I think this is not to any fault of of an influencer. They start making their living wage off this. And some cannot be as you know, discretionary as others. So you want to see people that are like still doing what they love, getting into social media for the reason they got into social media. They didn't set out to be an influencer. They're there because they're passionate about something and they have something to say. And then, you know, I think those are some of the more authentic voices on social media.
1: So when you're looking at trying to evaluate whether the influencer is performing up to your standards, are you using any platforms or systems to track their activity and engagement? Okay.
0: No. I I know there's lots out there. Our team is very hands-on. We don't we tend to not sort of field things out for a number of reasons. And like with We see the performance. You can, I think that anyone can go on social media and tell the difference between someone who is engaged and posting good stories and is excited and and those that are holding up a bag and saying, buy outcast," which we have not had. They've all been fantastic. But I think that our metrics are, are based, yes, partly on sales. And we do give them promo codes and we don't tell them they have to. It's not always about that. We also base it on, we look at our follower count and see if there's an uptick when the influencer comes on or when they post, that's worth it to us. Our big thing right now is like besides is email marketing and, and getting not only onto people's email marketing list and running promotions through there, but, you know, getting people to sign up for our email marketing through social media. And that has also been really, really effective. And we've had some help from influencers with that.
1: I think that's one of the things that also a lot of businesses um, kind of miss is that they don't pay as much attention to their own databases, their own email list that they can actually generate. I think, you know, over time, if you have like you know ten thousand followers on Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever the platform is, the value of those followers deteriorates over time as it becomes as the space becomes more and more competitive. Yes. Not with emails. I mean, emails. Yes. I mean, people are not opening as many emails as they used to before, but they still have the the greatest impact when it comes to trying to spread your message. So I think that's really powerful.
0: We actually, um, and this is a, a note, like I know that it's an antiquated saying that email is king. And I was kind of like, oh, I guess so. It just sounds kind of sounds like the term engagement to me. And it's not, we've generated between 20 and 30% of our revenue on
1: email marketing, C to C. That's great. So with Outcast Foods, I mean, what are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing right now?
0: education i mean it's it's education around you know people have ideas about what vegan protein tastes like they don't understand the term upcycling all that well we have we did something amazing with an influencer recently who is sort of an upcycled sustainable fashion influencer and he sort of took the idea of upcycled fashion and then related it to upcycled food because i mean we've seen comments on on our, some Facebook ads that are like, you expect me to eat garbage? It's like, whoa, whoa, no, we're not, that's not what we're doing. You know, we've got some animation done and we just use Fiverr. It's great. It's honestly, it's so good. We got like, you know, a, a minute long animation done that chronicles our process so that we can send that to not only retailers, but investors, other stakeholders, use it on social media. We send it to our influencer outreach. We use it constantly. And it's one minute and it it just shows step by step that we work with farmers, grocers, and food manufacturers. And we divert that surplus food waste to our zero waste facility in Halifax where it gets upcycled. There is an extra little layer to this because what we do is super special because we do have patent pending technology that allows us to keep the micronutrients intact as it goes through the drying process and no one else has this so we can take the antioxidants that are in that blueberry and we what usually happens is it gets dried as blueberry powder this keeps all of those nutrients in there so we have a big job and that one of our biggest hurdles right now is going from Canada to the US. We have to educate a huge population on the idea of upcycling and that it's it's protein powder and greens. It's not vegan protein powder. And I will be sending you some so that you can make your own assessment and I'm sure you will love it. But yeah, it's really about, it's that educational piece. When you have an innovative product and you have technology that no one else has, and we are the only company that has the capabilities to do this. There are other Upcycled CPGs in the space, but you know, we are the leaders in this. And getting that across in an ad is very hard. So it's incumbent upon us to have there's like between between five to seven touch points that a consumer has to go to it with protein powder specifically, if not more. Because we've all had that experience. I know I have, where you're like, oh man. Strawberries and cream, whey protein powder, that sounds so good. I'm going to buy this you know, five-pound tub of this stuff, and I'm going to have protein forever. And you try it once, and you're like, I am never having that again. And so when you're buying protein online, it makes it that much harder. So not only do we have that hurdle to overcome, but we want to get our story across to people because that's where that emotional connection happens. So that's hard.
1: <laughs> you know, I was going to ask you, what is it that makes outcast foods unique? And, and it's interesting. And, you know, you mentioned that you have this unique process to sort of make sure you're not losing out on any of the nutrients as you're processing the protein, right?
0: So when you have, you have an outcast smoothie, you not only are getting the benefits of knowing that it's actively saving the planet, whey protein is terrible for the environment. <laughs> We have our recyclable bags that are made with biodegradable and, and compostable materials. You're also getting five to six actual servings of fruits and vegetables. So one of our taglines that has worked in the past is have a salad, but make it taste like chocolate chip ice cream or chocolate chip mint ice cream, you know, and people really love that or have it taste like a bowl of Fruit Loops because you're literally getting all the nutrients that you need. So I have completely stopped eating vegetables altogether. I'm just joking. I would never do that. I would never ever do that. But it is nice to know that, you know, in my daily life as marketers, we're always on. And whether it's like getting up early to get a workout in, you sometimes don't get all the nutrients you need. And so this is, you know, something that I rely on. And I'll tell you a very honest assessment of my relationship with protein powder. Before I came on with Outcast, I hadn't used protein powder in years, simply because I hated it. It was always not that great. And so vegan protein powder sounds like it has some challenges with days. And when I tried Outcast, I was an immediate convert. If I don't like something, I, I, I wouldn't use it, but daily I have Outcast, and we've got a very special product. So we've got this great story, but yeah, putting it in. Into a few words is can be challenging.
1: I can't wait to try the product myself. I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. So I'll definitely be sending you some feedback there. But uh, you know, I'm I'm big on plant protein. You know, I have a green smoothie every day. I try to at least, and and you know, it doesn't taste that great. So it's uh, it needs to be enjoyable. So <laughs> yeah. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: <laughs> it's awesome. And like our greens, our super greens. You know, people don't like taking greens because they taste terrible. And ours is we call it like. Tropical vacation because it's pineapple coconut and you know my my little nephew Remy who is the namesake for uh, Remy Francois the orange who is one of our brand characters and my sister was having trouble getting him to eat what she needed him to eat and I said give him this stuff and he loves it so and it's also a great way to sneak vegetables into your kid's milkshake so you know you can give them a chocolate milkshake and they don't know that they're getting all the vegetables.
1: That's awesome. As long as I don't have to bribe my kids to have their vegetables, then that's <laughs> that's wonderful.
0: I'll send you a bunch. It'll it'll help you out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> excellent, excellent. So, Lindsay, you've been sharing some extremely valuable insights here today, and I'd like to know more about. Let's say, if you were to go back in time five or ten years, what kind of advice would you give your younger self?
0: I would probably like the thing was is five or ten years ago. You know, I thought that I was going to be changing the face of the PR machine for the NFL. And I think one of the things is is don't pigeonhole yourself. I've never thought about going into consumer packaged goods. All I really knew is that, like, you know, with my, my PR company, Hello Hero, is the idea was to be extremely passionate about what I was doing. And when it came down to it, it was those core values for me that led me to this dream job, and it was sticking to those values. Darren didn't just pluck me out of nowhere. He had a look at my company and saw what I was doing, and loved the model that I was working with, and knew that this is something that I could apply my passion to. So the biggest thing is is like you think you know how your life is going to turn out. I I didn't start. You know, I finished my my master's degree when I was thirty six, and it was always. It always felt like you're like sort of two steps forward, one step back. Because it's a saturated industry to be in marketing. And, you know, these jobs are coveted. And so all I did was just, it was one foot in front of the other. And putting all of your, this is where I'm going to stay. This is where I'm going to grow. This is where I'm going to grow professionally. And I'm going to stay with this company. Go back to, to why you're in that job in the first place. Is it the company? Or is it the values that you're aligned with? And it wasn't until later in life that I found a company that aligned very well with my values and that I could be so proud of growing with and darren is an incredible serial entrepreneur and tj tj who was our other co-founder you know he played for in the nhl for a number of years and they both are, are vegan and that is you know and they're really sustainably oriented and i was neither of those things but what i was looking for was somewhere that i and somewhere i was looking for a leader that would have the faith that Darren had in me. He just says, go. He's like, you're good at what you're doing. And look for that. And and don't think that if you're corporate, I mean, I'm going to get in trouble for all this. If you're in a corporate structure and you think you can change from the inside out. I'm telling you, it's not worth it. Find leadership that aligns with you. Don't stay in a place if you're not happy, hoping that it's going to change or that promotion is going to change it or you'll find the passion when you get onto that next project. I'm telling you from experience, it's a painful road. So find that thing that you love and don't, you know, place that thing and, you know, it on a company and say, okay, nope, I love this company. Go back to your core values. That's what I would have told myself. Awesome. In a long-winded way.
1: (laughs) And that's absolutely true. I mean, like, I think that, uh, you know, even, um, you know, I've had experience with my company where, you know, I've hired people and, you know, I always ask them, okay, why do you want to work in this field? and you know sometimes there's there's fresh graduates that uh, you know just want a job but uh, they don't know what what they want to be doing and what their values are but what i find is that those professionals that do find jobs that uh, align well with their values they almost feel like they haven't worked a day in their life because their work is their passion right you know it just makes it so much more enjoyable i think life is too short to waste on
0: <laughs> and it doesn't matter how you get there it doesn't matter you don't have to do the high school university map it's it's we live in a different time now where you can become a crypto millionaire overnight or you can do it like me where it's like i had a lot of fun and then i went to school late in life and i didn't find that spark that one thing that like sort of was driving me in my life and i couldn't figure out what it was i didn't find that until a lot later. And so don't go with the flow. I credit my parents for pushing me into education. My mother was a professor, and you know, I resisted that for a number of years. But the way that I got there and the experiences that led up to it, it all people ask me, like, do you regret anything? And yeah, there's been some tough times. We've been through some tough times in the past year. Everyone's been through these parts of their lives where it's like, I thought I was going to be so happy. And it's really about all of those tiny little experiences and all those tiny decisions that I made, whether it was signing a lease when I was in Toronto for 36 hours, having never really been here or quitting my job and just going, I just going to give this a shot. Not all of them are going to be that those great ideas, but all of those either bad ideas or good ideas, they all culminate in what you're going for and so i can't i don't want to change anything in my past and no it hasn't been easy by any means but if i changed any one of those things i wouldn't be where i was today
1: that's right that's right yes i mean it's a life is a journey right and you never know something may seem bad at one stage but there could be twists you know at the end and you would end up in a much better place you know i i strongly believe in personal development i think that there's no age that you should stop learning and you should continue to learn, continue to educate yourself. I think that's really important. I myself completed my master's when I was 36 and I started off and, you know, I still continue to have, uh, you know, additional education down the road. I mean, you know, plan to work on my MBA and so forth. So it's something that, you know, I'm really passionate about, I think. And my, my dad is also a professor. So, <laughs> so I come from a family of professors and doctors and they ex- expected me to become a doctor. But, uh, you know, I Chose digital marketing, but I, I started out in biotech. So I went to university in biotech originally and then ended up in, in marketing because I was really passionate about, you know, helping businesses tap into the power of the internet at the time. So it's really interesting, you know, where we actually end up with once, once we start our journey professionally. And I think it doesn't stop until we go to our graves. So <laughs>
0: it's true. It's so true. There's still lots more to do. Who knows? Maybe I'll go do that PhD one of these days. Not anytime soon. I'm having too much fun.
1: That's true. So, based on your experience and challenges you have overcome, you know, if there's one big takeaway that you could give to our listeners, what would that be?
0: I think one of the biggest things for me is, and and we hear this a lot, is bet on yourself. It's really hard to bet on yourself sometimes. I've made some mistakes in my life and my experience, and, you know, my 20s were not great. You know, I had some fun, but it didn't really get me anywhere. And it was that. I just didn't want to take that leap. I didn't want to fail. And, you know, learning that this idea of what I'm supposed to be or what other people expect me to be. And I'm sure you can appreciate that. My, my father is, is a dentist and they love them to death. But, they, you know, they had this idea that their three girls were going to do the high school, university PhD or, you know, and get married and doctors and all of those things. My little sister is one of the best professional backcountry snowboarders in the world, Robin Van Dean, and is, you know, a marketer in her own right with what she does. And my twin sister, Jill, owns a company called so Peanut Butter, which she built from the ground up. And so all of us took very different roads to get to what we believe is success. And eventually, eventually it lined up with my parents' ideas of success, but it wasn't easy. And it's really about like bet on yourself. And that was not something that you're going to go out tomorrow and be like, yep, I got it. I'm going to bet on myself. I mean, we have insecurities, we have histories, we have all these things. And as, as marketers, you're expected to know the lay of the land. If you're a marketer, you know things. It's like when you say that you're in crypto, it's like, ooh, you know all the things. Tell me what I should do. But it's, we only get to those those places in marketing and we're good at marketing because we believed in the strategies and the initiatives and the research and the data that, that we were able to focus on and get really good at. And, you know, Darren Burke is an incredible marketer that way and has really pushed me to get into data, which I was always very scared of. And again, I had to bet on myself. I had to like go in and like, get to know data. And I already knew some about it, but it kind of scared me. I didn't really like it. Numbers are not my thing. But if I bet on myself and just know that like all of those things that I've done, all those weird things that I've learned, I have the ability and the skill set to learn things that even scare me. So yeah, you've got to, you gotta, you gotta do that. Everyone do that.
1: <laughs> Bet on yourself, guys. No regrets. So final question, Lindsay, you've been a pleasure to have on the show here. Where can people find out more about yourself and contact you online?
0: I'm Lindsay Van Jean on, on LinkedIn. Last name is spelled V-A-N-G-Y-N. Yeah, I'm on Instagram. I don't know if anyone needs to follow me on Instagram. <laughs> it's at Butter Fever, but follow us at Outcast Mission. That's where you're going to find, you know, if you want to see what we're doing, Outcast Mission Across All Platforms, feel free to contact me. You know, I especially love people that are just like dipping their toe into this kind of stuff and just want to have a conversation. So I'm always up for that. Oh, and LVG at Outcast Foods, send me an email.
1: That's great. And we'll include your information here in, in the details as well. So we'll include a link to Outcast Foods and, and the Instagram channels. Well, thank you so much, uh, Lindsay. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you here today. I think it, you've given us some great insights as far as, you know, your journey and how you've actually helped Outcast Foods and, and what you're working with. This is really exciting. We definitely wish you the best and look forward to the success of Outcast Foods. And uh, thank you again for taking the time today to be on our podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having
1: me. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Marketing Innovators Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast. And remember to share this episode with your network. As we mentioned, this episode is brought to you by TwoWeb. We help your business thrive online. Learn more by visiting our website at twoweb.ca.